Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. To get it together, trying to help their fellow man. Hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Hello, hello, yeah. hello. Welcome. Welcome to the catch, and it is uh, Craig. McNair Wilson on the other line. McNair, how are you? I'm good, John. And you? I'm doing just fine. We cut it a little closer than I expected, but uh, all right. I'm glad you're here. So glad you're here. And uh, this is going to be fun tonight. We're we're going to talk about stories and especially the story, the Princess Bride. Um, and uh, we're spending some time on that. Uh, we earlier did a little bit, did a number of catches on it, and now we're in the last five days of this year. We are going to be using the Princess Bride as kind of a, a story on story for our our end of the year fundraising campaign. We do this every year. Something that's fun. And uh, yet something that uh, lets people know what we're doing and uh, what we need to keep doing it. So that's that's what this is all about. And McNair uh, Wilson is a longtime friend of mine who is a actor, a director, a screenplay writer, uh, author, and uh, lately has been doing uh, – a uh, number of uh, seminars on creativity. He's really good at that and has a few books out. Um, we'll have him talk about that a little bit later on. And he's coming to us from a restaurant. Is that right, Craig? <laughs> I'm at, I'm at Applebee's on Garden of, the God, Garden of the Gods Road in Colorado Springs. Oh, there you go. Fantastic. Well, I like Applebee's. <laughs> so, uh, You've already had lunch, I take it. Yeah, <laughs> or dinner, I can't buy or for whatever it is for you. The the two o'clock feeding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Craig, I'm so glad you could be with us because we want to talk a lot about story, and I just figured you would be the guy. And uh, uh, having been involved on so many different ends of telling a story especially through theater. Um, what, uh, why, why are stories, tell me, Craig, why are stories so powerful? Well, one, if they're a good story, we remember them. And therefore, if there's a lesson to be had, hmm. it sinks in. And we remember it because it very often will touch us emotionally. It'll make us laugh. It'll make us angry. Um, it'll touch a tender part of us. It might, might bring a tear you know, when you think about your favorite movies, mm. my guess is that it does all of those things on some level. You get mad at the villain, uh, you fall in mm-hmm. love with the hero or the or the or the leading lady. 
you know, and, and so we remember those, we remember those things. And so a good story uh, just latches on to us. You know, when you think about it, Jesus rarely opened his mouth without telling a story. And some of his greatest mm. lessons were, stor- were stories. You know, the, the whole mm. idea of love your neighbor. And somebody said, well, who's your neighbor? And boom, he tells the good Samaritan. In other words, who's close by that needs you? Help them out. Um, well, I, a couple of years, a, a handful of years ago, um, Colorado Christian University here in the Denver area asked me to take a book that a friend of mine had written, Jerry Jenkins, who's known for the Left Behind series. He and Tim LaHaye had gone yeah. on to do a series of four books called The Jesus Chronicles, where they turned the lives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into stories, into into uh, novels style stories. So there was a lot of backstory on who these guys were. Long story short, I took their book, uh, Matthew's Story, and turned it into a play. It was 66 characters on stage, and it you know, the first third of the play was the times and what was going on and Matthew being a tax collector and a Jew and so on. And then they meet the disciples and Jesus and all that. And then we have the what's known as the passion of the, the final moments of, of Christ's life. And there's a scene where one of the disciples said, Jesus, why are you always telling a story? And he says, like what? And they all start telling their favorite stories. And in that way, we get to tell them without having to do the whole story. And Jesus said, see, people remember him. He says, and what kind of stories do I tell? And he says, well, you were talking to fishermen about fishing. Yep. You're talking to farmers about seeds. Yep. And you talk to Pharisees about money. Yep. So <laughs> that's another thing that a good good story does is it attaches itself to a part of the people that are, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're both – we are both uh, artists, and but we're also teachers. And we want yep. people – we want to communicate something, and and uh, uh, so I think we both have probably experienced just lecturing points to people and telling people stories. And um, what what can a story accomplish that uh, you know just just uh, uh, propositional truth uh, laid out one two three four maybe can't accomplish. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a key word that I use, whether I'm writing a script or a blog post or a book, and that's objective. And when you find out what the objective is of a talk, of a sermon, of a lesson, of a book, you're asking asking the question, why am I telling this? What do I want the audience to do? And I and when I say do, I'm I'm saying what action do I want people to take? Even if the action is, would you consider this possibility? Or would you go out and do this? Would you, you know, help us with this project or, or, or do this thing here? And if you don't have an objective, you might just be making announcements or trying to get through your outline. And that's not always enough. Mm. And, and so mm. a, what a story does is help people remember that objective. Uh, the book I'm writing now is based on my TED Talk, Recapturing Your Creative Spirit, because I believe everyone's creative. That talk was created as an answer to an unasked question, I was teaching my brainstorming system, the seven agreements of brainstorming, at, when I was at Disney Imagineering, and they asked me to teach it at the studio to executives. And I thought, boy, there's a, there's a steep cliff trying to get you know, media executives to be more creative. And, uh, and they'd say, I'm, I, I understand your, your brainstorming system, but I'm not creative. And what they meant was, I'm not artistic, because we have such a narrow view of what creative is. And so I began to think, how do I help them understand? Well, long story short... I came up with what I think are 
what I call the four habits of the actively creative person. And in each of those habits, I tell stories of people who had those habits, and very few of them are stories about artists. You know, there's a... um, there's that great line in Princess Bride where they're going into the forest, and she says, "No, she says I'm a, I'm afraid we we won't come out alive." And Wesley says, "That's just because no one ever has." Well, the story I tell is, <laughs> is when the entire athletic world said no one can run a mile under four minutes, and then one day on a rainy day in England, a guy who was a young medical student, he was already a doctor, went out for the afternoon track meet, and bam, Roger Bannister ran what we now call a sub four, ran a mile in under four minutes. And about a year later, he ran against one of his biggest competitors. And the whole track world thought, one of these two guys is going to do it. And in that, in that race between the two of them, they called it the race of the century, the other guy ran a sub four, ran a mile under four minutes. But he lost because Roger hmm. Bannister ran the mile even faster, also under four minutes. They hmm. both did something that everybody hmm. thought was impossible. They both got out of the forest. And people remember that. Yeah. And so I say, what's ahead of you? What's ahead of you personally or as a corporation or as a group or a family that seems impossible? Walt Disney used to say, it's kind of fun to do the impossible because on your way, you'll discover all kinds of other things you didn't know you could do. Hmm. So, wow. there's, you know, right there is two or three stories that right away can, you know, hopefully convey the objective of however difficult it yeah. is, you have to go after it. Can we... Uh... I'm just thinking here, Craig, in, in our attempts to share Christ with people or share the truth or what, or our, can, can we use stories too on, on just a personal level? We have to. And that, I, I think that's the only way to do it, you know, because otherwise people can say, well, that sounds great for you, but that's not for me. Really? Mm. Really, hmm. it wouldn't it wouldn't be for you that that if you bought a new, I've got a I've got a friend. He's a eighty something years old, very successful retired businessman, and he showed me his new Mustang today, brand new, white, sleek, gorgeous car. Any guy we know would love to have this car, and and I said, why'd you get a Mustang? He said, because I didn't have the Cadillac I wanted. And <laughs> now I could, I he and I sit and we have breakfast. As we did today, we might again tomorrow. You never know. Every day for breakfast, he has a milkshake. Why? Because he can. I said, I said, I said, now, don't you think people won't like that? He said, doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> Here's what I want to say to people about my faith. Is if, you, if your faith could be improved, if your life could be improved, if the person who, who sold you that Mustang says, hey, we got a way that that Mustang could stay in great shape for a long time. What's that? Well, we've got a couple of things. We've got an owner's manual here. It's if, if you hear a sound or something's not working on the dashboard, you can look it up. Well, that's the Bible. I always, I'm always amazed that people say, don't you think you'd be a good person without the Ten Commandments? And I said, yeah, but it's just too much work. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a, if you, if you've got a list of do this, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, why, why wouldn't you use that? I mean, start there. Now, if that's not enough, mm. you know, then your life's a little more complicated than I want to deal with. But, but I think we can use those stories to say to people, you know, the stories of our lives, of how our lives have changed, mm. and what's the possibility of your mm. lives changing, you know. And, and when I say change, yeah. it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're a concert violinist, and you embrace God, and he's going to make you a riveter or, or, 
post hole digger or a banker might still use you as a concert violinist, but in, in, in greater ways to expand the music that you play for people. And that doesn't mean you're going to have to play music in church, not at all. Hmm. Right, right. Can, has there ever been a story that you could say uh, changed your life in, in some way, maybe even a small way? What was the last line? What was the last part of the question? Yeah. Broke up. Um, is there a story? Can you think of a story that changed your life in some way? Maybe, maybe even a small way. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I had maybe the best teacher I ever had, and I was in a private school. The teacher's name was Jack Green, and my dad was the principal there. And he told me years later, Jack Green was the best teacher he ever knew, worked with, or worked for him ever. And one day, Jack Green, I felt him standing over my shoulder looking down at my workbook in front of me. And he says, you're going to do those last four? And it was one of those workbooks where you had to fill in the blanks, and there were ten. Well, I'd gotten about three or four and filled them in, and I just was bored to tears because I knew what they were trying to get us to learn and filling in the blanks. And so I just did a couple more and stopped. And he says, you're going to do those last four? I said, I've already got this nailed. I know what it is. He said, I know you do. But if you don't fill in those last four, then we can't get started on the Civil War bulletin board we were going to do. Well, he hadn't mentioned the Civil War bulletin board to me ever. But he and I would do projects like that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, finish those. I'll go get the folder and I'll be right back. And the time it took him to walk to his desk and come back, I whipped off the last four blanks in the workbook and we got to work on this epic hmm. Civil War um, bulletin board. And what it taught me was sometimes there's things you don't want to do. It'll be good for you to do it. But you just need to get it done so you can get on to the next thing. John, I do that with myself mm. all the time. You know, I don't want to do this. Wow. You know, you've, you've written books. I've written books. They're not as mm-hmm. much fun as people think, <laughs> writing books. People say, how do you do it? One word at a time. What you do is you write ten words. Then you reread it. Take out four of them. Add two new ones. Then keep going over and over and over until it looks like something. Then an editor takes it. They take out more words or change this and that but eventually something happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, but mm-hmm. in between, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's necessary in order for the good, you know, the good stuff to show up or the, real, you know, the part that you, that you think you enjoy. Being, so so you've you got to fill in all 10 blanks so you can get on to the next project that's really the fun thing you want to do. And the 10 blanks are good for you. And what Jack Green said to me that day was now. He said, now you really know this. And I said, yeah, I do. Mm. Wow, that's a great story that for was, me. I I appreciate hearing that. That well, you can imagine how how long ago that was. No, I'm just going to say you can yeah. imagine seventh grade. You can imagine how, uh, half a century ago. Yeah. So, and here you are still utilizing that story in your life. Yeah, and I'm still filling in blanks. Yeah, <laughs> aren't we all? Wow. There's a there's a well, you mentioned Princess. Princess Bride at the beginning, there's a great line that relates to this. Um, And and I heard on an interview that Mandy Patinkin, who plays in in Tio Montoya, the guy that's, you know, the line that everybody knows is, you you killed my father, um, prepare to die, die, right? Well, Mandy Patinkin (laughs) said he was coming back to his hotel room one day and his wife was watching it on TV. And so he sat down and watched it and he said, really good he said but there at the end was a line that i had he said i'd forgotten about and he says now it's my favorite line 
and it's at the very end. They're standing in the window, and mm-hmm. and the prince, the princess has jumped down into the arms of the of the giant, you know, Buttercup, and and Wesley, the leading man, the the Christ figure sort of is standing there, and and Inigo Montoya, and um, Wesley says, "What will you do now?" And Montoya says, and I wrote it down, I have been in the revenge business for so long. Now that it's over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. Wow. And what a great, what a great line to say, well, what was the revenge mm-hmm. business? What did you do? Well, you sword fight, you this and that. Are there skills there that you could use in a different and better way? You know, just because you spent your whole life doing one thing doesn't mean your life is over. Mm-hmm. If if there's positive change, oh, that's great. That's great. You brought up the Princess Bride. You know, we've been we're, we're going to be spending some time on that, and uh, it, it's it's kind of a phenomenon, it seems to me, because uh, uh, you know, I what got me interested in it again was a book that came out like two years ago, and it was called uh, it's called um, I haven't even told you about this um, as. as as you wish is the title of the book, and it's written by um, right. uh, Carrie Ewells, the the guy who plays um, Wesley, and um, yeah, it's it's all the backstories, it's all the you know stuff behind the scenes, and uh, it, it's got a lot of little comments from everybody, all the actors and from Bob Reiner, and it's really a very uh, fun thing because you when you see this movie, you, you got to think. They must have had a ball doing this thing, and uh, and they undoubtedly did. And and these are some of those stories. But I I I've been thinking about it. You know, it seems to me that Princess Bride owes most of its success to the VCR version and 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 DVD because it it made a fair hardly a ripple when it came out in the theaters. Um, Right. Why do you why do you think it's why do you think it's connected so late uh, to to so many people this way? Well, you think about when it came out in the late '80s. There was nothing like that then, and they didn't mm. do a sequel. And it you know it, no matter what direction you look at the look at the previews from, it's a sword and you know sword and yeah sorcery and animal you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> It wasn't especially popular. And so you look at it and you go, oh, what is this? Like some old stupid Robin Hood thing or Shakespeare. Or, nah, nah. And so it was a tough sell. It was a tough sell. But, mm. but because people who did like it were able to grab it on VCR and show it to their friends, I think word of mouth and, you know, Princess mm. Bride parties and, and trivia and all that kind of stuff, it, it, just, it just caught on and people started. I mean, there's so many lines that we now say all all the time, you know, inconceivable. Yeah. He says about eight about eight <laughs> times, you know. Anybody want a peanut? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and you think, where? Oh, is that where that is that where that came from? And so I think it's just it's just one of those. I mean, anything that's what we call a cult classic really is a, a phenomenon. I'm, and I have some favorites of mine, and friends will look at it and go, oh well, yeah, okay. So it doesn't hit everybody the same way. But right. uh, but even the even the right. as you wish line, and she says at the beginning, she finally realized that as you wish meant I love you. And you fast forward to the very end of the movie, and 
because it's all couched the way they tell the story. It's a story within a story of the grandfather mm-hmm. reading to his grandson in the bed. And he doesn't want to hear it because, oh, is this going to be a kissing book? And right away, we get, we get <laughs> preconceptions. So probably when we saw the, the previous right. people, thought, oh, it's going to be one of those princess blah, blah, blah books. But um, as, as he's leaving, the, grand, the grandson loves the book, and he says, Grandfather, maybe you can come back tomorrow and read it again. And the grandfather turns and says, as you wish. Mm. And that was his way of saying, yeah. I love you. Uh, uh, but I, I was uh-huh. thinking, too, that it, is it a kissing book? The same, same thing with the Bible. People say, oh, it's a Bible. It's full of do's and don'ts and this and that. Well, I remember one, one time being at a conference, and Howard Hendricks, the old theologian, may, may yeah. shared these statistics. He said there are 2,000 people in the Bible who are named. We know their names. But only 100 of them do we know how their life ended, good, bad, or otherwise. And less than about two dozen of them, about 20 of them, ended well. It's a friggin' book of failure. People, <laughs> I mean, everybody loses, everybody gets killed, everybody gets left, or this or that or the other thing. No, what it is a book of, <laughs> of real life and how God works in our lives. And, and so if those aren't stories we can relate to, we're not listening. Wow. Wow. And, and that's a good that, story. You know, you go ahead. I was going to say that's what makes a good story. Is it something we can relate to? I mean, in the Princess Bride, you know, you want uh, you want Humperdinck to get killed. You want you want you know you, you fall in love with Buttercup or Wesley, depending on your you know your uh, you know your tastes and and uh, and you're rooting for the grandfather or your kid saying, oh please don't read me another story, grandfather. You know, and you, you you want everybody. So if you can relate to one character, then that pulls you into the story. Yeah, it does. You know, it occurs to me too in the story that Wesley is—I don't know. It seems to me he's definitely a Christ figure. You know, and and sure. uh, we ta- I've heard this talked about in a lot of literature. It seems to keep coming up uh, the Christ figure. I mean, he came back from the sure. dead. Uh, he he outskills the swordsman. He outwits the Sicilian and outsmarts the strongman. You know, and uh, is, is this true that this is common in lots of stories that there that you can oh, find yeah. a Christ figure? And what does that what does that say? What does that say? Well, uh, to us, I'm, I mean, in in the final analogy, what it says is there's hope. There's always hope. You know, you don't want the you don't want the Christ figure to be somebody who rides in on a on a, a white horse at the end and kills all the bad guys and you move on. In fact, you know, in the middle of the story, in the middle of Princess Bride, um, the, the boy says, who kills Humperdinck? Who kills Humperdinck? And he says, well, nobody. So what do you mean? He says, well, he doesn't die. Well, the way he gets his comeuppance is they say, we're going to let you live and see all the bad things in the world as a result of what, what your life has been. You know, so something, yeah. but we want the bad guy. You know, we want the bad guy to, to, to get his comeuppance, whether or not he gets killed or not, we really want him to get humiliated or hurt or embarrassed or or something. But the Christ figure doesn't doesn't always do that. Sometimes they come in, you know, when they throw the adulterous woman at the feet of Jesus, they said said she should be stoned, and he said, "You're right, that's the law." So everybody who's never sinned, pick up a stone and let's let's get this going. Mm-hmm. And they start dropping stones. You know, the Christ figure in in Chronicles of Narnia. The character of Aslan, who dies and comes yeah. back. 
And there's that wonderful place where they say, Aslan, is he, you know, is he, is he mean? Is he this? Is he that? And they say, no, but he's good. He's good. Hmm. Hmm. But you know, Craig, I'm thinking a lot of these authors are not necessarily Christians, and yet the no. Christ figure still shows up. I mean, what what does that say? Doesn't that say something well, about something maybe deep inside all of us? Sure. Well, in, in you know, in when you study story structure and you study literature, it's called the archetype, and there's always, you know, the the Christ type, the Christ figure is not always the hero. It might just be the one who brings the message, who brings the truth. It might be just the you know the down and out, the hitchhiker, the the bum on the street, the whoever it is. Um, they don't have to be. They don't have to be the center of attention. They don't have to be the handsome guy. In fact, the best stories are the ones where that's not the case. You know, look at It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody's probably watched that two or three times in the last week or two. And if mm-hmm. you haven't, get to it. It's a, it's easy to find. <laughs> you know, the one that comes in and and saves the day is this little kind of befuddled angel, you know, who after 200 years still doesn't have his wings. And, uh, and he comes in and the solution is kind of inside out and backwards, but it works. And, uh, and the way to see the truth is what would see the value of your life is to see the world without your life in it. The influence you've had, it may be on the surface seem like nothing, mm-hmm. but when you pull yourself mm-hmm. out of that, I have a, I have a phrase I use in all my workshops to talk about people using using your passion, your skills, your whatever it is you love to do to serve others and to, to make your life enriched. And the phrase is, if you don't do you, you doesn't get done, and the world is incomplete. Hmm. Wow. No, yeah, that's beautiful. And and I think the well, Christ thinking, figure comes in and shows yeah. us that. Yeah, and uh, what what I'm amazed at is that this happens though without almost it seems like without planning or without you know no one's getting okay now I'm going to have to write in the Christ figure into my novel um, it keeps coming up yeah. which is it, it's almost like could, maybe I'm just getting too carried away here but if if we don't if we don't allow the gospel story to be told, it's like someone will tell it anyway. Yep. I mean, <laughs> is, there, is there something to when that, I, what, Craig? Sure. You know that I, I've been fascinated over the years because I started out, well, I, mean, I started doing theater when I was five, but professional theater when I was 13 at the Pasadena Playhouse in L.A. It was a big, old, full-blown professional theater, and I was a kid doing kids' parts. And then on to other theater groups and so on. And and then on to Disney and Imagineering where we designed all the theme parks. And in all those settings, every once in a while, somehow or another, somebody would find out that I was a Christian, not because I'd said, tried to buttonhole somebody and, you know, share the gospel with them in a, in a you know, kind of a pound them on the forehead kind of way. But they'd say, hey, somebody told me you were a Christian. And I said, does that surprise you? And they said, well, I don't know. I just never knew that about you. I said, well, what 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 is surprising that that my behavior so far would not be what you think is Christ like, or that it was, but I just didn't. And very often what they say is, well, yeah, I guess it is consistent with what I guess you know you want a person who believes in God to be, but you don't, you know, you never buttonhole people, you never do this, you never do that. The first time I was invited by Michael Eisner, the CEO of Disney, 
to go on a speaking engagement for him. He said, have you ever done that? He said, he'd seen me do presentations of new projects and stuff, so he knew I was good in my feet and could tell a good story. But he said, have you ever gone to a group? And I said, oh, yeah, I've done business groups and luncheons and so on, but done a lot of retreats and churches and colleges and stuff. And he said, what do you talk about? And before I could think about it, I just said, Jesus. And he kind of laughed. He said, well, <laughs> of course, Jesus. You know, and Michael's a, a Jewish fellow, and and uh, yeah. and not not then, but down the road a month or two, there'd be occasion here and there, a couple, three times, where he'd say, "Your faith pretty important to you?" I said, "It's just very personal, very important to me." You bet. And uh, and I don't remember the word he used, but the, the 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 inference was he admired that, and I think people do admire that, and it's it's been said before. It's not original with me. Sometimes the only gospel people read are our lives lived out in front of them. And so you want to be mm. consistent to it so that when a friend or coworker, like for me at Disney or a theater company or even a corporate group says, so I, someone told me you were a Christian. And, you know, I have never, ever, I remember one time being at a big Southern California church. And uh, it doesn't matter the church, but it's, this has repeated itself several times. But people would say, do you ever get... Uh, you ever get people putting you down for, uh, for being a Christian, you know, doing all those in the in the world where you are, in the theater and Disney and stuff? And I, was, and I said, you know, you really want to know the answer to that? And he, yeah, yeah. And I said, I know other people have had a different experience. My experience has been that I have never once been ridiculed, put down, or ostracized for my faith by my friends in the secular theater, by my friends in the entertainment community. But I have frequently hmm. been questioned and, and set aside by people in the church because I'm an artist, and especially because I'm a theater artist. And I said, our pews wow. are full of artists who sit there on Sunday mornings, and they see there's a choir, a piano player, maybe a band, and they're saying, wait, I'm a painter, I'm a calligrapher, I'm a dancer. When will it be my turn to help to, to, to use who I am and serve? And again, as I said earlier, I don't think you have to because you're an artist or a person of you know creative skills, that you necessarily have to use it in those settings, but there should be opportunities for that in those settings. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really significant. Um, yeah, I think it, and I think it's changing. Don't you think? Um, oh, sure. They're they're yeah, they're, just the arts just, are just, becoming more welcome in the church these days seems to me yep, just in our lifetime you bet yeah yeah uh-huh yeah well and and but you've you've done you've done some things to help that along and uh which leads us to my my final question because we're we're getting short on time here but um you know i i first came to know you through the fifth gospel which is uh, uh for those of our listeners who don't know what that is it's a creation of uh of mcnair wilson that involves uh, the whole story of Jesus told by one person himself acting out the numerous characters, some 30 or more characters. And uh, uh, it's amazingly moving because you talk a story, he takes the entire gospel um, event and turns it into uh, a story that anyone can access, and uh, uh, it's it's just been incredibly useful. I I know the 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 one thing I remember was we had Craig do the fifth gospel in our home for a number of 
uh, people who were working with United Airlines at the time were Marty's friends. They were all um, uh, in management. Marty was in, in uh, she was a flight attendant, and then she went into uh, in-flight management. And so I guess we had maybe 20, 25 people over, and and they all watched this fifth gospel in which Craig very cleverly decides to try and get people over their hang-ups with Jesus and even changes his name to Howard. So he tells the story of Howard, the son of God, to the, to the deal where after that show, one of those, one of the women, one of Marty's friends, stayed late that night, and we talked, and she was so impacted by the story and by the gospel, yet she was so hung up by, by the church and by being hurt by the, the, even her association with names. And she said, do you think it's okay if I pray to Howard? <laughs> and we said, well, you know, I think I don't think God would mind at all. And so there's a, a, a woman who's going to be in heaven because she invited yep. Howard into her life. <laughs> you bet. I, I'll never you bet. forget that story. Uh, I, I'm wondering whether you have maybe any stories you've heard. Uh, I know you've heard plenty that you might want to share with us about how that story has impacted someone's life. Well, I'll, I'll tell you gospel. a couple. I'm, yeah, I've had similar ones where years later people will say this and this and this. And I was at a big uh, church conference one time, National Youth Workers Convention. John's been there a bunch of times. And there was a lunch break, and one of my buddies grabbed me who was there with his company, his Christian ministry company. And he said, let's go to lunch. And this is a guy a bit younger than me, but I just think he's one of the most creative people ever. He has inspired me over the years, some of the wacky things he's done. And on the way to lunch, he says, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this. And, and I just thought he was going to say, uh, he met my dad somewhere or something. He said, but when I was in high school, you came to our church and you did the fifth gospel and I was never a theater guy, but it was so weird and so creative and so outside the box that I thought if that guy can do that, then maybe I can do some of the things I'm dreaming about. And he says, the reason I'm in ministry and the reason I do such weird and different things in ministry is because of you and the fifth gospel. I just broke into tears because mm. I just thought mm. this guy, Todd's his name. I just thought Todd was just, he, he'd inspired me over and over and over, over the years, just because he did, he just, mm. he, I mean, it's like people say, well, you, 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 you color outside the lines. I said, no, I color on both sides of the lines. And, <laughs> and, and then another story, another story, I wrote the fifth gospel in the early 72, January 72 was the first performance. It was just, um, it was just for the high school kids in the church. Ben Patterson was youth minister. And I had told him a few of the stories and I, and there were my journey trying to find the the Jesus, the God person, or the, the human Jesus. And one of them was Jesus and the disciples mm-hmm. on a hot day stopping in the river to cool off, and they end up having a water fight and a mud fight. And, of course, the big in, you know, international question is, who wins? Jesus because he's God, or John Mark because he's fast, or Peter because he's big and strong? And it's become one of the most famous things, and it's been copied and used, and that's fine. But it's Jesus and the disciples having a water fight. Well, that was 1972. Fast forward to 1998. I'm standing at the back of a huge auditorium of the same National Youth Workers Con- Conference, and in the dark, 
there's a hand on my shoulder, and a guy slips a small piece of paper into my hand and walks away from me with his back to me. Now, it's during the program, so there's darkness, and I can only see his shape as he walks away. And so I go to the door, and there's a crack in the door, and I open up, and it's just the piece of paper that's on the, the pad of paper next to your phone in the hotel room. And it said, it said my name, and it said, Saw Fifth Gospel in 1978. Now, this is 20 years before he hands me this note. Saw the Fifth Gospel 1978. Powerful, life-changing. Thanks, Dave. And I have no idea how many hmm. stories there might be like that. But one of the things I've always said, especially when I'm at Christian colleges, I'll say to kids, you know, I said, if you go into ministry, that, and when I say go into ministry, that means you keep believing in God and don't die. Now, you might also go into professional <laughs> ministry, but ministry... My dad used to say people are in ministry are people that are Christians and are walking around, you know, following Christ. Well, <laughs> I, I think one of, the, one of the reasons heaven lasts forever is it going to take us half that long just to run around and say thanks to everybody who inspired, encouraged, and came alongside us and helped us out that we never knew about. Wow. 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 And not because, not because we were on stage, on stage or writing books or writing songs. You know, I've stood with you next to your table as you're – as, as people are getting your books and I mean, records, CDs, cassettes, whatever, you know, and they thank you for your ministry, but there's going to be a lot of those people who didn't come up and buy it or a friend handed it to them mm-hmm. and it affected them one song or another song, you know, and uh, yeah. So that's why we just, ha- we just have to stay after it because at some point we can't know how we're being used. Well, and that's really true for all of us. Uh, yes. Whatever, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, whatever our place in the marketplace, that's true for all of us. Well, Craig McNair, thank you so much. Um, this has been a lot You're of welcome. fun. And um, uh, we'll, I'm sure it won't be the last. It, it's uh, not the first time you've been on Blog Talk Radio and not the last. So uh, we just love having you. And uh I wish you well. Uh, tell us what Thanks, you're going to be doing. Um, tell us what you're going to be doing next. And if people want to find well, out more about you, where do they go? Yeah, briefly. The last book was the brainstorming book called Hatch, like Hatch a Plan, Hatch an Egg, Hatch Brainstorming Secrets of a Theme Park Hatch. Designer. It's on. It, yeah, if they, if they just put McNair Wilson or see McNair Wilson into Amazon, they'll find it. But the easiest way is to go to my website, which is just T like the drink, T E A. T with McNair. It's M C M as in Mary, small C, N as in Nancy, A I R T with McNary dot com, uh, T with McNair dot com, and they can they'll, they'll see a thing that says Hatch Sample. They can open up, read the first chapter. They'll also see a link to my TED Talk, which is the Recapturing Your Creative Spirit thing I mentioned before, oh, and nice. that is the basis of the next book in my creativity series. That's the book that will answer the question, am I creative or not? And it makes the case that everyone is born with what I call a factory installed standard equipment, creative spirit. And it'll show ways that you're mm. doing it already, but you don't realize it when you do something as simple as take a shortcut between home and work, that's your creative spirit saying, well, this could be more fun or more interesting. Now, it's a low-level creativity, but it is creativity. So I'm working on the book now, and, and then just we're moving around the country, consulting with groups and churches. I'll be at a big church in uh, Panama City in a couple of weeks down in Florida, and so I just I just booked a conference for the uh, International um, Children's Ministry Network, 
and that's going to be in January 2018. So I guess I got to stay alive for at least a, another 13 months. <laughs> I hope so. I sure hope so. Yeah, I, well, I, I would be very sad to not have you alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why that's so, why God uh, God invented video. <laughs> John, thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you. God bless. And, uh, Thanks, John. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. There you go. There you have it, folks. Steve McNair Wilson talking about the Princess Bride and other stories. Stay with us all week. We're going to be uh, we're going to be pulling things out of the Princess Bride all week and helping you to uh, support the cat, help us uh, keep doing God's will here. God bless you. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.